0: welcome to the lantern Rouge Cycling podcast lucas platt one of australia's biggest young talents on the Ineos grenadiers starting his second full year at Ineos. He's, i can hear the crows in the background the australiana sort of asmr noises is great where are you now and what are you what are you doing postpone are you are you on the sort of having an extended holiday before some desert races
1: yeah, mate. I'm in uh, God's country up here in the high country, bright Victoria. Uh, yeah, making the most of the Aussie summer still and preparing for yeah the UAE tour, which would be my first one. Up. Um, but no, nah, it's nice to have, a, I guess, three extra weeks post-Kedow's uh, race here in Australia uh, before heading over to Europe. It's a it's really nice way to ease into the season. I love it up here. And I guess you see how cold it is over there. It's I'm not complaining that the team let me stay here for a few extra weeks.
0: And Froome there. And yeah, it's uh, he used to do that back in the day when he was on on Sky in like 2014, 15. But I think Herald Sun's no longer that bridge race before UAE uh, to sort of keep the racing in the legs. But I wanted to talk to you about your path into world tour and also what it's been like joint going, you know, into world tour, even just like the move across to Europe, how that's been different, what, how that differs from life when you're a, a sort of Australian track athlete. So, you're a decorated Olympian, world champs, in the team pursuit, on the track, and also you were crushing TTs on the road, sort of on the on the side um, during that. 2020, start of 2020, what was your plan for the next three years? Before we knew about what COVID would do, what was your four-year plan at the start of 2020?
1: Uh, it was all in for the Olympics, um, and then it was straight from the Olympics to Lavenir to hopefully put my hand up, uh, to get noticed in the, by the European teams, uh, and see what sort of came from Lavinia and hope that that, I guess the dream from that was to go world tour. Uh, uh and if not sort of reassess after that. Uh, but yeah, I guess luckily for me, COVID was a, a very nice blessing. Uh, I think being here in Australia, I was quite lucky that with the track program, we we're able to keep training. Um, there was still the the nationals was on, which was great, and I was going pretty well for that, and all in for the time trial. Uh And also, we we still ran a local uh tour and under Um and bike exchange back then. We were, were in the race, which sort of gave it a a bit of class, you could say, or let the European teams notice the race a bit more, just because you had that yeah. one World Tour team there. Yeah, and. So you had that festival, that was sort of the
0: festival cycling, the sort of mini tour down under. Olympics then gets delayed. And that sort of probably delays you putting the hand up for entry into world tour by year. Um, when was when did the interest from world tour teams start? Was it kind of just like, hey, how are you going before, you know, at the start of 2020, 2019 in juniors years, when did it really change to being Serious, and is there a story in there from that festival of cycling with with Richie and Willanga?
1: or is that a, is that a bit of a like an old wives' tale that he he put the word in? No, it's that's he is all truth there, mate. So had a really good yeah local turn and under, and it was because uh, of COVID they delayed nationals that year, so the festival was at the festival of cycling was before nationals, um, and yeah, look, we had Jimmy Whelan and and Richie in the, in the team. And I think they were just pretty keen to help us track boys out. Me and Kel and Sam were all in similar positions looking for a, a world tour team, I guess. Um, I managed to get one stage uh, before Wollonga and then on Wulanga. Um Yeah. The, I guess what we saw was, was true. Me and Rich, uh, Richie went up the road. Uh, we were all in for him. It was his sort of his last send off. Um, we came over the line together and, and yeah, after that, that sort of really attracted some attention. He was, very good to me and in reaching out to the teams and using the contacts he had uh in every single team just to sort of get the conversation started uh and from there i actually decided to race elite nationals in the instead of under 23s i was still second year 23s back then uh so made the jump up and the tt i i won the tt and that was sort of the that's where it kick-started all the all the interest at uh i guess my numbers were pretty good but also just the result um and there was, yeah, I think you had the likes of Harps, Harper, Durbridge, um, Cal. Yeah. So a few, there was a few guys there in that TT too. So that definitely kick-started everything. Uh, and the conversations happened really well. And yeah, like you said, Richie played a massive role in that, uh, in eventually getting me to INEOS that he played a big part in that. But yeah, there were definitely other teams that we we're interested in talking to. And yeah. And why why INEOS? I
0: mean, you had options. I mean, it's obvious, like I'll say it for you, like one of the best teams in the world, GC track record, been probably the best team overall for the last 10 years, if you count all the wins. It, it Was it just that? Was it just performance? Because um, there's other teams with money now that they're giving the money out to to NEO pros. Why was it
1: INEOS? Uh, basically, everything you said, plus the ability to keep racing track. Uh, uh, I guess okay. even in 2020 the olympics was a massive focus uh and i also didn't know what i wanted to do with track post olympics whether i wanted to keep going through the cycles and race the world to the commies and and the future olympics uh any were allowing that Whether uh other teams weren't to be completely frank um so that was a a big sale point i think whether i do track in the future or not at least the option's still there um and I think that's where I sort of took it. You're rich in options in a way. Um, and like you sort of touched on, uh, hopefully where I want to get to in the sport, they've they've had that experience bringing the track guys over. Uh, and I guess as well, coming from it, being an Aussie, it was, I really wanted to be in an environment where I enjoyed being a part of it. There was banter. Um, and yeah, I really got along with the guys. Uh, I knew Ethan a bit from the track beforehand. So now it was a pretty obvious choice to be completely honest with you. Uh, once that door came open, it took a while to, To get it open, they they played hardball for a long time and weren't that keen, but (laughs) once it became available, it was, yeah, I jumped on it straight away. And how does that work now? I'm always
0: interested in that because you've got Hayda, Viviani, Ganna, probably missing people yourself. Uh, Some of them, you know, Ganna and Viviani, they might be doing Europeans in a week or something on the track. How does that work now? Is it just like if you want to do track, there's full support, and your schedule or calendar for that year will be designed to accommodate that or is it like road goals still come first and then you've got to fit track around it?
1: Uh, I'd say obvious Olympics is the priority. Like you do almost basically whatever it okay. takes for that. Um, and I think they you don't do your little cat ones or your smaller races. You don't fly to those races anymore. Like you might do if you were permanently in the track program, but I think Euros is a massive uh, qualification for Olympics. You've got to get the points from them, same as our Oceana's we've got. Um, and then you've got to do a couple of World Cups in the year just to chip away at the points and, and to stay a part of the team. You obviously can't race the team's pursuit if you are never yeah. with the boys before. <laughs> um, but no, they are. I think it all stems from the Olympics and you do what it takes to to be right for that. And that's what you got to do the Worlds and you got to do a couple of World Cups leading into that. Um, we're obviously not going to, do cat ones or some smaller track races when they clash with the road season but yeah your worlds your nation's cups uh if they're vital for the olympics we do them um and then i guess for the gb boys and myself commies also we're we're allowed to uh, prepare for that and i guess we treat it like a bit of an olympics whether i was on Team camp last year, I left Andorra camp a week early for Com games, and everyone I was there with had no clue what Com games were. And <laughs> like all, all the Colombians had Imagine never clue. And
0: Bernal, yeah, uh, explaining explain yeah. the Commonwealth
1: <laughs> No clue. I was like, basically, Olympics. They're <laughs> like, what? Um, nah, so the team's very good with that. Um, yeah, like I said, I, I really don't know where I'll sit with track uh, after Paris, but yeah, the option, well, and my contract after Paris, but yeah that was a a big part I wanted to have a contract that went up and through to Paris and have the option of being able to do it too and that was sort of where it came from that's where I I was really keen on having three years to to get me through Paris and and allow that focus that next year if I did want to go all in whether that was the time trial as well if if doing training and not racing for the team was priority um, that's definitely an option too so it's I think you see that with the team and um, I guess bike exchange would be similar, those sorts of teams that really value the Olympics sort of let you have time to do it. Yeah, it's just so much exposure, like even Carapaz winning, like for EF, surely that helped him with
0: the EF contract, knowing that they had him as the Olympic champion for, yeah, through 2024. This video is brought to you by Zwift. Whether you're just starting out on your cycling journey or are looking for those final tune-ups ahead of a big event or race, Zwift is the online cycling platform that makes things fun. There are nine different worlds, thousands of kilometers of virtual road, including replicas of real-world climbs like Alpe du Zwift. There's workouts, training plans, events, and even races for every level of rider. Zwift's massive community means you're never alone on the road. So if you want to know more about Zwift or want to start your seven-day trial for free, head to zwift.com below. But you join, you join Ineos into 21. You do a couple of a couple of races after the Olympics, like Grand Monte just a trainee, and then your contract starts proper in. January, uh, in yeah, in January twenty two. But UAE two is the first big one, the first big race you do. And I know people say, oh, UAE two, UAE two, like, I mean, Pagatcha's there. UAE, UAE are taking it seriously. So I, I mean, I follow it closely, but I, I also I'm like obsessed with with all races. But it's still Pegacha there on those climbs. It's still some of the big guns um, on that, you know, Jabal Jais, that first climb. You were. Did you surprise yourself? Just for reference, that, like Luke was pretty active, and well, actually, I'll take a step back. i can you explain the TT first? Because well, we'll do the bad before the good. Actually, I, I won't bother you up with the mountain questions. What happened on that
1: TT? Uh, I was way too keen. I yeah, look, I had no clue how I was going to climb, or even if I was a what type of climber I was. So in training for UAE, it was all just. Focusing on that 10k TT coming from the track. Uh, so, that one corner cool, there is in the race. I thought, oh, trust me, a couple of seconds here. Um, and yeah, took recon a bit too seriously. And I and, uh, had a little <laughs> touchdown, and the bike, uh, the seat post broke. And we, I guess, coming when you go to UAE, you're very limited in the equipment you've got. Where if that was any other race in the world, I'd have two or three spare bikes. It's just UAE, yeah. quite limited. And I guess also in the pecking order. I'm probably the last person going to bring a spare bike to and it's my first race for the team. Um, but now, like you said, I think I read an article this morning, Max Din, from the uh, head of UAE, said it's like our second Tour to France and they treat it really big. It's sort of like how uh, the Aussie team treats Tour de So, And so we've got the world champ coming this year. So I think it's getting bigger and bigger. And uh, even if you look at what happened uh, on Valencia last week, some of the numbers people are doing in January, February these days, I think, doesn't matter whether it's a world tour race or a pro race there it's it's the same level yeah it's crazy like
0: and people are able to carry their shape it's gone to the days where guys just had like a four-week peak once a year and then went on holiday like it's so different to yeah even january races like people are like why isn't remco why is he getting dropped in san juan it's like well i mean it is january like we don't need it that <laughs> doesn't matter that much um but on those mountain stages, Jabel Jay, Shallow Gradient, Big Group, and Jabel Hafit, did you surprise yourself um with how you climbed? I think you ran top ten on Jabel Hafit, which is the harder, the harder climb in the back end of the week. Um, did that give you confidence that you're like, oh, actually, this whole transition to being a sort of GC guy with a strong TT is possible? Or did you actually and you, you know say it if you you know if it's true, we were you actually like, no, that makes sense? Like, I already did these numbers and these were the numbers required, so it makes sense that I was up there.
1: Uh, the first one, Jabel Jais, I thought I was flying and then looked back and saw Garner and about 40 others, I realized <laughs> it was a pretty easy climb. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and I guess it's this, it'd be the same. It, you can draft so easily. I think we're doing almost 30k an hour um and then jabal Hafit, i guess coming from the track those one-out efforts uh and sort of the tt training i was doing for that 20 minute effort i trained for i just didn't know like power to weight or even what the numbers were expected in the world too i was just so fresh to it um so yeah i, I was really shocked and i like i thought i They team said i can just uh, sit on and Yatesy would do his own thing and see how long i last um and yeah i was shocked to to see where i came but I think from there, it gave me a lot of confidence uh, for the rest of the year and probably changed the type of rider I thought just from that first race I did. I definitely didn't go into that or the World Tour thinking that's sort of where I'd be as a rider.
0: And you go to Catalunya then next. I remember it was cold. Some of those stages were terrible cold oh, in shit. March. Yeah. In, <laughs> I remember going to them. It was, yeah, it's like early March. And so I'd finish, some of them finished up at altitude. Well, not altitude, but over 1,500 meters. In yeah, York. we had
1: three. We had three passes over two thousand in one really? day.
0: Really? Well, yeah, yeah. Over so two thousand. Stage, we went up
1: two sides of it, and
0: yeah, it was ridiculous. It's so it's all in the shadow. There's like ice in the corners that never, never freezes. Um, and you look at your PCS. There's not much there from that race, but that stage you launched the Igita uh, sort of 120k crazy break, one of the craziest stages last year then you got in the car straight after is that again was that just like full track mode effort and what was was that planned as well that that raid was it like yeah we're going to launch Carapaz for three hours with someone else today
1: yeah I think after UAE they probably thought the team thought I'd climb a bit better than I did uh I really suffered in the cold but also I'd never just raced for three or four hours and then had to do an effort as well I think that was the first time I'd done proper stage racing in my life uh and i did suffer a lot and then coming into the last day like to be fair we were nowhere on gc um and yeah we came up with a real good plan like i did a turbo warm-up in the rain and treated as if it was a tt and we just said look we got nothing to lose um i think we had brett lancaster and aussie ds who sort of just said let's go all in and see what happens um so yeah he said that's your finish line at the top uh go as hard as you can um so yeah (laughs) carb'd up, warmed up on the turbo and just went full gas and <laughs> let Carifaz go to the finish line. And he, I remember clearly over the top, like go to the car flip the oven. He's like, ah, come, come, come. I'm like, mate, I'm, I'm frozen. I've just got a skin suit on. You've got a rain jacket and about three layers underneath. Like I can't go any further.
0: And then you go to, did that sort of speed up your progression, do you think? Did that change your program? Because you then went, went to, uh, circuit so cyclist, south, there's Romandy, Norway. or were you always expected to do those races and then have a little bit of a gap before commie games?
1: Uh, so after UAE Catalonia got put on the program, that was never there, and then after Catalonia, they added Romandy as well. Um, and then yeah, all those like south and Norway, those one week pro races were always there. Um, and then yeah, commies was was a pretty big focus too. Um, yeah, just being an Aussie, that's something that I always want to focus on in my career, to be fair, the commies and Olympics are sort of key targets I'll always pencil in, especially uh, 2026 being in Melbourne.
0: What's the biggest thing? I mean, Norway, everyone knows like crazy numbers. Um, Renko and Vine on Galstoppen was just crazy. And then you came third on that mountaintop finish. Did you feel almost validated by what they then did in the Vuelta? Because some of the people were doubting how good Norway was on that mountaintop finish, and you guys also. It wasn't just that mountaintop finish. I swear there were these plateaus after the climbs where then Ineos tried to launch it in crosswinds, and that never sort of happens because you need a really unique geography to have crosswinds on an extended plateau after a hardish climb. Did that? in in the Vuelta which you also did did that make you feel like actually I I wasn't far off those guys one of them won the Vuelta one won two stages
1: yeah what the fuck was I doing <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah I, I felt like something gone wrong in my prep because I should have been around them no um yeah like I said Norway is a it's a ridiculous parkour I don't think we get it really in anywhere else um and it was funny I came straight off track prep actually and I think that sort of 30-minute climb, I think it was that Remco and Jay were ahead of me. That was just a TT, really. Um, And then, yeah, we had some fun over the plateau with some crosswinds. So I think we had a really good team there, to be fair, that could have some fun with it. And I think Remco and Jay were sort of – they were there but didn't have a super strong squad. So we tried to sort of uh, isolate them a bit. But, no, it definitely – Uh, Like I was stoked with how the ride went. And like you said, I think there's something to do with, I don't know, whether it's magnetic field or whatever it is, but Norway numbers seem to be massive. Um, uh, Yeah, I don't know what the science is, but I hear a lot of (laughs) things about Norway numbers are big. (laughs) It's only in Norway. Uh, Um, Oh, nah. They replicated them in well.
0: I mean, it it was perfect conditions. As you said, easy stage before the climb, mm -hmm. nice cool conditions. And you know, it's deep enough and it's a season where people are in decent shape. But maybe there is some sort of fault line. I don't know. Like, (laughs) Yeah, maybe there's something to do with that. What's the biggest thing you learned in your first full year,
1: you think, in World Tour? Uh, I think I'm still trying to discover what type of rider I am. I think the year gave me an idea of where I sort of sit um, and that's sort of maybe starting with those like smaller GC races and trying to go there as like a second leader. Um, And I think it taught me that this year is sort of more about trying to have my own opportunities in those one week stage races. Um, It took a long time to be fair, just to get used to the Peloton. That was massive coming from Australia. I guess weird or crazy as it sounds, just like riding in a bunch or doing descending. Like it's just nothing that you do in races over here. And I'd never done like European racing or, uh, bunches as a junior. So that was the biggest thing I learned. Like even uh racing tour and under, uh, I felt so much more comfortable doing that this year than the first few races I did last year. Just uh I think knowing what to expect. Uh and sort of feeling like you belong rather than I guess idolising people or putting them on a pedestal and trying to give them a bit of space whether I'm happy to rub shoulders with them now, no matter who it is really, I guess.
0: And so what's the plan for this year? Is it to really like you do you want to lean into trying to become a, a GC rider, as you said, go for your, going for yourself in those one weeks? Um, or I don't know, because you could do multiple. There's like Leonard Kamner's kind of a, you've probably got a little bit more absolute power than him. He's But is it focusing on being a GC guy um, rather than that Soler-Leonard Kamner route? Um, or do you think there's actually some opportunities to go for stages like that as well?
1: Uh, I think I want to keep exploring the GC path and have some opportunities there. Um, but at the same time, I, I actually didn't do any one day races with the team last year. Uh, and I really yeah. want to explore that a bit more and, and find out where we can fit them in the program. My program's pretty similar to last year in a sense, but, um, just with where world sit, there's a lot of one day races at the end of the year that I'm really keen on doing. Um just doing cadales and even nationals like they're the or or com games I think there's something in that racing for the win every stage rather than I guess almost protecting yourself or happy with a bunch finish uh in a stage race so I'd really like to just explore that one day sort of pathway and I think coming from the track it does sort of suit my style and physique um so I'd like to give that a crack too this year uh and and just see how that goes and where I fit uh and then I really want to keep touch with the TT I think last year I sort of I lost that a bit uh, or lost it as a focus, um, looking towards the Olympics for sure worlds, but I guess it's so far huddling in GC racing now too. So I think I really want to keep touch of that. Um, and just sort of find out what type of rider I am again. I don't really have like clear focuses or, or expectations cause I, I don't really know what, what fits yet. Um, like I haven't really faced on French roads yet either. Um, just little things like that, just exploring what parts of the world suit me. Um, and apart from the Vuelta, I hadn't really raced that attitude either. So I think it's just finding those little things out and where I do fit and what I don't fit. So we can, I think, looking forward to 2024, we can make a program that does suit my style or we know what that is.
0: Well, so you're pretty similar as well to like Brandon McNulty um, in terms of height, mm. weight, big engine. And he – He's When he does the one-day race, it seems like he's focused a lot on GC for the first few years. And, of course, was like, a key domestique for Pog. But then he nearly, he nearly medaled the Olympics road race with Carapaz. Um, he does well in those French, which you'd probably – they'd be good for you, those two, like French races, Four and Drome Classic in February, sort of hilly French. One-day races, I think Vingegaard won one last year. Um, so there's lots of – I guess there isn't one size fits all. There's like comparisons, but yeah, you can. It is nice to see, especially with if there's the top guy, Pog, he does one days. He focused on one days and GC. It seems like you don't have to choose like a Contador who, okay, Contador would do like flesh, but really he just focused on GC. I think there is space. To do one day it seems like guys enjoy them a lot more like a lot of people say i want to do some more one days because they're actually they're fun or there's less pressure or if you stop up make one mistake well it's you haven't just invested two and a half weeks so then make one mistake mm. or have a mechanical r- lose two and a half weeks and then the two months training before that three months of your life just down the drain um in a grand tour so what's the plan then ua tour and after that Is it going to be the same schedule? Is it going towards the Vuelta again, do you think, at the end of the year?
1: Uh, Catalonia again. It's a bit of a home race almost. Um, I think I'll just have a little bit of a break once I, like a mini break once I get to Europe, just to settle in again, like it's been five months now. Um, And then after Catalonia, Romandie again. Uh, That would be the plan at the moment. Just looks like there's two TTs there. uh, And I really enjoyed that race last year, to be fair. And, when I ride right until I blew up on the on the, the final TT. Um, so yeah, keep exploring those sort of one-week stage races. And the back half of the year isn't planned at all. Worlds would be a focus if I can make the Aussie team, um, but haven't looked really at tours or or anything past June-ish. And what's this is a question I've sort of started
0: asking, or especially Australian or Kiwi riders or American riders. What's the one thing or a couple of things that maybe the public or fans don't see There's it's like a really difficult thing in the background or just something in the background that the pros are dealing with moving over to Race World Tour? Is it literally just getting your passports and logistics all organized or are any else good in helping with that? Um, is, it, what, is it just being like separated from your family structure um, overseas for long periods? Like mm. what is something that, people don't see kind of away from the races that the pros are, are
1: managing? I think it's visas, residencies. It's also like you can't just fly home for a weekend or a mate yeah. or something happens in the family. Uh, and I think the biggest thing I found like in the last bit of off season, just I didn't experience it uh, before, was it's hard to go to team camps. Whether you go to them or not, you don't say there's a December camp or there's a January camp, uh, you got to fly halfway across the world, but you don't want to do that too many times before the season starts. Uh, I was lucky that I didn't go to the camps this year to sort of prep for the Aussie summer. Um, but like say I finish the season in, in a normal year, you're, you're in Europe, you go home for two or three weeks, which is like three days of traveling plus jet lag. Um, then two weeks later, you've got to travel again for four days to this, team camp but then you're at christmas time but your season starts in january it's it's just so much travel that you're not it's not a one-day travel day where you can go back and forth and it doesn't really harm the body yeah um you really got to sort of plan that christmas period because it is so hard with travel like so many aussie guys uh this year had to miss nationals or tdu because the team wanted them for a camp and they said well, i'm not flying over for a camp flying back for racing flying back to europe again like it's i think people underestimate how big the journey was um i think definitely out my teammates did like when they came for TDU or for Worlds last year, people were like, wow, this is, it's a long way away, um, which it is. So I think that's the hardest part. And I, to be fair as well, I, I love Australia with a massive passion. Like I think it's bloody best place on earth. Um, so I really miss just the lifestyle we have here, the people uh, and the culture compared to Europe. Uh, and I think it is just so different, uh, which I guess others don't understand. I think Kiwi sort of, have the same sort of feeling. Um, I think it's just the Aussie way of life. Like even talking to Freemi like the last few days, he absolutely loves it here. Like wishes he could spend more time here and I think Daryl is the same Impy. Um like I think the Euros that's come over here they realise how good it is, but it's a completely different lifestyle and you've got to commit one way or the other and that's how it's it's really hard to balance as an Aussie. Um I think the guys that do it the best are the ones that almost don't call Australia home anymore and, and set up overseas and it's funny, you look at almost Aussie's best riders at the moment. You've got Caleb or Ben O'Connor or Henley. A lot of those guys don't usually come home for uh, Rowan and the same thing. A lot of them don't really come home for Aussie Christmases. They did this here because there was like a big hiatus between T to U. But yeah, your best Aussie pros almost don't call Australia home, um, which is hard. I'd never want to not do that. Uh, but it sort of shows the commitment you've got to do from, from Australia and have those sacrifices and miss and family and friends
0: yeah that's i sort of went through the same thing obviously not to to race in world tour but yeah moving over to andorra mid-pandemic and i was like all right and then i did yeah 18 no 20 months just straight with and i spoke no mm. spanish when when we moved over and there was no prospect of moving back or like traveling you couldn't just travel back for a, even three weeks because two weeks you'd be in hotel quarantine and you maybe yeah. you wouldn't be able to fly back at all and i there were positives to that in that I was like forced to and I wanted to anyway, but like forced to integrate a bit more. I was like, well, I gotta to have to learn Spanish, ASAP.
1: Um Yeah. You know, even the time zone though. It's you tough, can't even yeah. call back home whenever you want. Like I think people don't get that. Like you can't chat to your friends during the day or something when you finish training. It's it's a lot different.
0: Yeah. And as you said, the I, I didn't really realize it, but yeah, like my, when my mates have a wedding, right? in april i might not even be that busy yeah. like i might have like four days off and i got i may record one podcast that week not really working but can't fly back like for nah. fifth. A, a yeah and that's just that's tough so i guess i'm jealous of the uk uk writers i guess because they can mm. get one hour, one and a half hour flight from barcelona or Girona back um but yeah it is it is tough but i agree with you that yeah like i'm good friends with jack haig and you know he's yeah. he, he he rarely comes back for tdu and he trains through the winter there and he had his best year in of his career when he moved in 2021 and been a bit unlucky but yeah it's you're right a lot of the guys don't don't fly back so much um whether that's just saves their legs and travel in their mind i don't know um too, I just love the beaches here mm. too much? I just I'm still here, and even though I shouldn't be, um, with the racing yeah. starting in February, like <laughs> well,
1: it's like <laughs> even little things for me. Like last year, I was waking up at like five a.m. just to watch the footy. Just little Aussie things that yeah, I miss yeah. that you don't get in Europe. Like just it's just I guess it's those little things. Like I miss going to the cricket or the footy. Um Yeah, it's just it's we're a different world over here. To be fair, and I guess not many people understand how we live.
0: Yeah. Anyway, good luck with the the year coming up. Um, we're really excited to see see how you go. Obviously, I think, you know, there's there's a lot of potential there, and I think once you put all the the pieces in the once they all fit together, I think you're going to sort of have that bang moment where you know you you podium a world tour G, race on GC like that's you know realistic this year if you put all the pieces together. Maybe it's Romandy with the TTS. Um, so I won't be surprised to see that, but. I'm glad you uh, glad you had some time back in Europe and, and thanks for coming on the pod. It's been interesting to hear hear what it's like um, from a young Australian pro going over and, and making his way.
1: Cheers, Matt. Really appreciate it. It's been, uh, yeah, been real good.